Memorial Health System provides comprehensive health services that meet the needs of the region we serve. And we are proud to present Memorial Health Radio. Here's Melanie Cole. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, as many as 29 million people in the United States have diabetes, but up to 8 million may be undiagnosed and unaware of their condition. My guest today is Dr. Nicholas Mazidis. He's an endocrinologist with Memorial Health System. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mazidis. What is diabetes? We've heard this term. We know there's a type 1 and a type 2. Tell the listeners what it is. Yes, Melanie. The problem with diabetes needs to be understood as a fuel utilization disorder, which means that uh, the food that we consume, which is our fuel in effect, whether that happens to be the carbohydrates, the proteins, the fats, the vitamins, uh, even the fluids that we consume, all of this needs to get processed in order to become part of us because your food is because you basically and you are what you eat. In order for this process to take place, there's a host of hormones in the body. Insulin is one of these hormones that are involved in transforming the fuel that we consume, the food that we consume, into an energy equivalent, which is like an electric current. And that electric current allows us to function. And it's pretty much like we have any other device that needs to get plugged into an energy source. For us, the energy source is our food and the ability to transform the food from a chemical form into an electrical event is what the body does through its metabolism. And a central player in all of this is insulin. Diabetes represents the disruption of this rhythm, which is basically the equivalent of an orchestra with all sorts of harmonies of hormones taking place under the direction of certain pacemakers uh, within our body. And uh, if we have a disruption, in the sequence because in this instance, insulin is uh, either not present or not functioning properly or not uh, getting the proper response from its receptors, then we begin to lose that rhythm. And as a consequence, we experience all sorts of unpleasant events. Some of those we experience through our immediate level of consciousness. Others we experience through the complications of diabetes. And these complications that also are the face of diabetes that we see, are number one, premature aging, number two, various forms of acquired immune deficiency, meaning that we don't combat infections the way we should. And uh, in addition to that, obviously, our performance at any given level is not what it should be. We're feeling weak. We're feeling under par. Who is most at risk? For some of these symptoms of diabetes, is there a genetic component even to type 2? And while you're on that, Dr. Mazidis, you know, even children today, because of the obesity epidemic, used to be, you know, only type 1 is what you saw, and type 2 was called adult onset. It's not anymore, because you're seeing it in younger and younger people. So speak about the risk factors. Very good. The risk factors are uh, several. But the most important relates to weight and physical inactivity, and that is actually what afflicts a lot of our youth these days, the fact that people are putting on weight due to the plethora of calories which are readily available and for which we don't really need to do much because we can either call it in or just drive over and get whatever we need. So it's very simple as opposed to the hunter-gatherer mode that we used to have uh, in generations past. So... This combination of physical inactivity and weight gain 
so that we are in higher levels, uh, the BMI, as we call, uh, which is a relationship of your height and your weight expressed as a score. So this uh, sets the stage. Uh, now, the question about genetics obviously is uh, relevant because no matter type 1 or type 2, there are genetic factors that impact both. So there's always a predisposition. We don't always know the details because we know that there are many genes that are involved in this particular picture, and we're not sure about the combinations and what ticks off a particular sequence of events. But the fact remains that uh, genetics plays a role that if you have several relatives or first-degree relatives, certainly of importance, uh, who have this problem, then uh, you are actually at a much, much greater risk than someone else. However, if we live long enough and if we have the lifestyle, which I mentioned, with inactivity and uh, weight gain, I guess uh, virtually anybody can become diabetic with few exceptions. So while we're trying to focus today on prevention, and, and we could do so many segments on medications and treatments and that sort of things, let's focus on prevention and lifestyle. How does our diet impact diabetes management and possibly prevention altogether? Well, diabetes is the cornerstone of management, and I always start my encounters with a patient, or at least I close them, with a discussion of the diet and the meal planning, because uh, on one hand, obviously, even though people have been eating for a long while, obviously, and have their uh, ways of doing things set, uh, very few are aware of two things. Number one, that the food supply, the modern food supply, is uh, tainted, if you will, through various chemicals many of which are known as endocrine-disrupting chemicals, and that's a whole new category that's been recognized by the endocrine societies at the present. So these are uh, in the food supply for a variety of reasons, either as preservatives or as chemicals that are additives or they've been fed to animals that we subsequently feed on. So these endocrine-disrupting chemicals in the food supply set the stage for problems, and they may be estrogens and they may be preservatives, as mentioned, or other. Uh, that's uh, the one component, and the other component has to do with uh, the amounts uh, of food uh, consumed and whether they're processed and refined or whether they're in the more uh, simple form. And this is something that we try to uh, educate people so that when they go into shop, they are informed shoppers who are careful to pick up the things that they really need, the basic uh, food elements for a good diet, and then minimally processed without too much uh, overcooking to put these on the plate in proportions that, again, we talk about so that we have representation of vegetables and fruits and protein and also the carbohydrates that people enjoy in proper proportion. And once that's been structured on the plate, then that also has to be timed in such a way so that the bulk of the calories are consumed early in the day. And as we come close to supper, we're kind of fading out uh, with a lighter meal. And again, the activity component is something that we remind people that even though we're a car-based society, we need to seek out opportunities either in the home or in some gym or track or whatever to spend some time and walk and uh, uh, give the body an opportunity to uh, exercise pretty much like we do with a pet 
uh, were aware of the importance of exercise for them as well. So that type of mindset, I think, sets the groundwork for prevention. In addition to that, there are situations where people may also be taking some medication which may help them. So there are medications that have been checked, like in the diabetes prevention program where they use metformin. It's a drug that can uh, facilitate uh, the processing uh, of glucose and kind of uh, help the body and the liver uh, do its work. So that's something that had been uh, introduced. There are some other medications as well that have been used either to control the appetite or for other reasons. So those are at players too. But what's actually been shown by many, if not most, of the studies is that uh, diet and exercise activity and what we discussed earlier about stress and sleep uh, have the role uh, that's uh, adequate to prevent the problem or delay it. Where does exercise, lifestyle, management, all of these things, can you prevent diabetes by being a more active person? You mentioned sedentary lifestyle or obesity. Can you really prevent it by following these tips you're offering? You can definitely prevent diabetes. And when I say prevent, uh, we can delay it so that when it occurs, it occurs beyond our lifetime. Because we do know that uh, if we're looking at the beta cell which is our thermostat that uh, sets the stage for insulin release and so it responds to a meal, when that the thermostat begins to suffer and uh, gradually loses its potency, uh, it takes about 15 years for this thermostat, uh, the pacemaker for the insulin production, to lose. It takes about 15 years for it to lose 50% of its capabilities. And when we reach that 50% mark roughly, then the sugars are in a range that we define as diabetes range. So we have certain scores that we consider to be thresholds. So that 15-year period is what we're trying now to extend so that we can get more mileage out of that beta cell, which may be fading for a variety of reasons. So if I can get that to be 20 years, 25 years, 30 years before it reaches the 50% mark, and then I develop, you know, the full-blown picture. That's an achievement. That may be well beyond my life expectancy, if you will, and therefore I've achieved prevention. Uh, But uh, again, you know, we have that ability, and the sooner we intervene, in other words, if we can start this process of intervention earlier in life, obviously we can postpone it much better than if we're, you know, two or three years shy of hitting that 50% uh, threshold of function. So that's something that we emphasize to patients. So when I'm speaking with a patient who may be in their middle years, I'm interested also in having their son, daughter, granddaughter uh, in the room to listen into the message because the message is more important to them than it is to the uh, patient in question because... uh, if they were to adopt similar lifestyle measures, they're likely to stay out of trouble. What great advice and what a good point that you're working with even the younger generation to get them to understand if they do have a family history and how important that is. Thank you so much, doctor, for being with us today. You're listening to Memorial Health Radio with Memorial Health System. For more information, please visit mhsystem.org. That's mhsystem.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening. Okay. 
So, Dr. Mazidis, thank, thank you, you so much. Actually. That was really, really great. You were excellent. Thank you. Good questions. And uh, now this is going to air somewhere. Is it uh, something? That yes. You're going to so put on the you just talk or? to yeah, talk to Sarah Holt. It, once she approves them, they'll be on iHeart, uh-huh. iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, the Memorial Health System website. They'll be all over the place, and she'll promote them. Oh, excellent. Okay, very nice. Yeah, That's please good. come on so again if you'd like to well, talk and about. I might be able to host them. You can. Yeah. You can absolutely yeah. put those links on there. Yeah. And please, if you want to come on again and talk about childhood obesity, we would love that as you're an endocrinologist. Well, I'd be happy to because I see I, I saw a few today. <laughs> I'm sure you so did that's, as do uh, I. I think a very nice topic. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, you so much. You let me much. know how you want to do it and we'll do it. Okay, that's okay, great. Melanie. Have a great, great rest of your week. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. What a sweetheart. Oh, my God. He was so good. Not an edit. Porterfield.